Father, we come together this morning uh, and we gather in Jesus' name and we come to this portion uh, of our time of worship as we open your word together. It is uh, our prayer, Lord, that you would uh, speak to our hearts through your word. Lord, give us understanding and insight and may the Holy Spirit work in such a way that we would respond, O oh Lord, to what you are saying to each of us. And may Jesus Christ be praised, for it's in his name we ask these things. Amen. Well, this message this morning is not what I originally had planned to share with us um, this Sunday, but in light of the events that were happening, uh, I shifted what I was going to share on Christmas Eve to this morning. Um, I had one of my professors tell me in Bible college that, you know, you can use other individuals' material, but you need to give credit where credit is due. So I want to just say at the outset that the first three of the four points that I have this morning are not original with me. They are from Warren Wiersbe, uh, and I thank Warren Wiersbe for that. It's really just the main point. I developed more beyond what he said. But as we look at the account in Luke chapter 2, uh, we recall from uh, our consideration of this chapter in, in previous weeks that the angels uh, appeared to these shepherds and announced uh, the birth of Christ. And in verse 15 of Luke chapter 2, we read, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. The first thing that these shepherds did was they received God's word. It required that they believe what God had said and they were taking it to heart. See, God made his son's birth, the Savior and our salvation, known through the gospel, so that we might know, hear, and respond. We see here in verse 15 their response here. Uh, interestingly, after they heard this uh, announcement by the angels, they didn't uh, sit down and have a conference or a meeting or a committee meeting or a, a, a sit down and have some coffee and let's talk about this. What should be our next step? We, the scripture indicates that they, they acted immediately on what they heard. They didn't wait. And there's a lot of people that they hear the, the good news of the gospel. They, they hear the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. They hear about God's love for them and his desire to forgive them. And, and for whatever reason, their human nature being what it is, they put it off. They wait. Sometimes people have said, and I don't, know the, I don't know this personally because it was never my thought, but some people say, well, I'll wait to trust Christ until later, till I, till I you know, sort of have my own fun and do my own thing, and then I'll, I'll consider it. Well, these shepherds weren't like that. They, they acted immediately upon what they heard, but it, it, it was born out of their faith. That's what I want you to see. It, it, it required that they have faith in what they heard. When you hear God's word being proclaimed, when you read it personally, when it is speaking to you, when God is speaking to you, do you exercise faith in what God is saying to you? That he is speaking to you. 
individually, directly from his word. In fact, God always asks of us that we respond with faith. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says that it is impossible to please God without the response of faith. You want to be pleasing to God? One of the ways that you and I do that is by exercising faith in him and in what he has communicated to us. We receive his word. In fact, faith, according to biblical faith, always has an object. People say, well, I have faith. Well, that's good. What is your faith in? You know, I'm a person of faith. Okay, explain that to me. Faith in what? Biblical faith always has an object, and that object is always God, the God revealed in Scripture. Faith. In fact, it is by faith that you and I become sons and daughters of God, child, children of God. You are all sons of God, Galatians 2.16 says. You're all sons of God. How? Through faith in Jesus Christ. See, there's a mistaken notion that all of humanity are just children of God. That's not what the Bible teaches. You have to come personally by faith to God through Jesus Christ to be considered a child of God. And it requires faith. But it's not just a matter of, of an acknowledgement in your heart of truth or even exercising faith. The second thing that these angels did in response not only is in receiving God's word, but they responded. Genuine faith always results in some type of active response, some type of corresponding action. Genuine faith is never just a mental nod or I believe confession with your mouth without some kind of corresponding action. And notice here verse 16, so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who is lying in the manger. That's exactly what they were told that they would find. A babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. They, they, they believed what they heard concerning this child, and then they acted, and they searched diligently until they found him. See, faith will produce some type of corresponding action. And in fact, if you read the epistle of James, it ought to disturb you somewhat, because James says that faith without works, without deeds, without some type of corresponding action that in, in essence solidifies and, and shows that faith is real, is dead. He says here, show me your faith without your works, without what you do, and I'm going to show you my faith by my works. You see, Faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior and as our Lord will produce in us, will motivate us, will move us to have some type of corresponding action that lines up with what the Word of God says a follower of Jesus Christ should look like and should do. In fact, I quoted the verse from the beginning of the book of Hebrews. Read Hebrews chapter 11 carefully. By faith, Moses left Egypt. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham sacrificed his son, offered up his son. You know, by faith, by faith, by faith. And there's always a corresponding action with that. 
So much so that the writer says, I'm running out of time and running out of room. I'm just going to, I can't even tell you about David or Samson or others or on and on it goes. What about your life and mine? Do we have actions that, that bear out the truth of our claim and our confession that we believe in Jesus Christ? You know, one of the criticisms of the church and of the Christian world by the world outside is that we're hypocrites. We say one thing, but we do another. Our lives shouldn't be that way. James even says that. It ought not be that way. And only by the grace of God and the mercy of God can our, can our lives correspond to the confessions that come out of our mouths. And that requires continual, I say continual, dependence upon God to make that real in us. In fact, e Ephesians chapter 2, you're familiar with this verse. These verses, we go to it quite often as a foundation of the gospel and how a person is saved. For by grace are you saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying to, hear, to you this morning. Your works never, ever, ever save you. You're saved by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. But notice that Paul didn't end there. He says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. That, that verse is, is, is loaded. <laughs> it, 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 is, it is packed with a lot of truth for you and me. You want a verse for this new year, and I'm not suggesting that it be this. Just read verses 9 and 10 and ask God to make real in you verse 10. Whatever good works, God, you have for me to do, I'm going to yield myself to you and do them. And that's a matter of faith because you don't know what God may ask you to do. You may not know what course he might ask you to walk, but he asks you to do that in faith, trusting me. Do you trust me? In a very real way, this past week, I've had to ask the question, do I trust God? Do you trust me? A lot of unknowns in this world, and we don't know. And even in that verse, he's given us good works to do, which he prepared in advance. Do you know what they all are today? Could you list them out and say, I'm going to do this, this, and this? See, we like to have our to-do list, don't we? To check them off. <coughs> And say, oh, I did this, I did this, okay, this is the next thing, this is the next thing, this is the next thing. I like my ducks in a row, so to speak. <laughs> when they get out of line, then, then I'm in trouble. You know? But I have to trust in the sovereign hand of God in my life, and you do as well, that even in the things that he asks us to do, they're part of his sovereign will and plan for us in Jesus Christ. And when I exercise faith in Jesus, then he gives me the opportunity to express that in the way that I live him. It's kind of interesting that uh, over the last couple of weeks I was listening to a devotional online uh, through the Alliance called, uh, to, uh, I can't remember the name of it, sorry, and I didn't write that on my notes. But anyway, uh, the, the pastor, Pastor Soper, was going through the book of Jeremiah. And so I listened to the scripture and then listened to his little 10-minute, 12-minute uh, overview. And one of the things that struck me about that is that in Jeremiah, God sent Jeremiah, the prophet, as you know, to the people of Judah to warn them of the impending doom that, that if they didn't repent of their ways, Babylon would come in in, in judgment, and it would be a severe judgment. 
It would result in them going into captivity. And lo and behold, Jeremiah kept coming to them and coming to them with God's word. And the false prophets would tell them, Babylon's not going to take us over. Babylon's not going to hurt us. We're God's people. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Our temple will never be destroyed. We're God's people. But Jeremiah kept preaching to them, repent, repent, turn from your ways. Turn to God, turn from your sin. It's kind of interesting that around Jeremiah chapter 37, the king Zedekiah, the last king of Judah, um, calls uh, Jeremiah in for a little conference and says, you know, tell me what God's saying. And uh, he says, don't trust in Egypt. See, because what they were doing was they were looking to Egypt to try and become their ally to sort of stop Babylon from this impending invasion. God said, don't do that. Don't trust Egypt. Well, they trusted Egypt. You know, then, then, when, then when Egypt was uh, pushed back, by the sovereign working of God in that providence. Jeremiah reminded them in chapter 38 that Babylon was coming in and the best thing for you to do is to surrender. Now, if you were a leader in a, of a country or in a leader of a place and they're told surrender to the enemy, you think you're going to be ready to do that? But see, Jeremiah was a proven man of God, giving them God's word. Were they going to act in faith or were they going to discount what was being said? Well, they, as the story goes and as history tells us and as the word of God records, they continued on their own path and Babylon came in and destroyed them and devastated them horrifically. Well, God told them then again through the prophets, stay in the land, those of you who are left behind, you remnant. Submit yourselves to the Babylonian overseers and so forth, and God will see you through this. You know, seek the welfare of, of, of Babylon and, and uh, their, their leadership and so on. Well, they said, Jeremiah, you're lying. You didn't hear from God. He didn't tell you that. And they wanted to go to Egypt. They wanted to flee to Egypt. And God said, don't flee to Egypt. That's going to be your downfall. Don't do it. Well, what did they do? They went to Egypt. And then when they were in Egypt, God said to them finally in chapter 44, you're going to face the consequences of all these choices. It's kind of interesting because I just want you to read the, the response of these people who had God's word, they knew it was God's word, they knew it was God speaking through his prophet, and, and this was the response to them, to Jeremiah, to God's message to them. Jeremiah 44, 16, we will not listen to the message you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord. Is it possible for the people of God to be stubborn? and say no to God? It is. Have I done it? Sadly and honestly, yes. Have you done it? If you're honest, you'd probably say yes. See, but these shepherds, by way of contrast, at least in this initial context and in this initial meeting of Jesus, were so excited they hurried off. And they wanted to see this newborn Messiah. 
And notice this. They found him there lying in the manger just as God had said. <laughs> in fact, the last verse says they were praising God for, for all the things, this is verse 20, they had seen and heard just as they had been told. Do you think that God is going to say something to you or to me to our harm, to our detriment, and not mean it? Or for our good and for our benefit and not mean it? He makes it clear to you and me how you and I are to live as followers of Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying that that's easy. We live in a present world as it has been since the garden that is hostile towards the things of God. It is not easy. And it's not going to get better. You read, the, read the book. It, it's not going to get better. God in his mercy have given us times of, of peace and, and, of, and, of, and of prosperity and blessing in this present world. But ultimately, this world is going to unite as a whole and be contrary ultimately to, the, to God, the things of God, and the people of God. And while we have the freedom and the privilege to gather here on this Christmas morning in this place in the name of Jesus, there are brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world that don't have that privilege. Why? Because they're Christ followers and there's a target on them. But can my faith and your faith be such that it is willing to be tested? Yeah, I think it was Adrian Rogers who said, faith that can't be tested is also a faith that can't be trusted. And there are times that God will indeed in your life and in mine test our faith to see, do you really trust me? Not because he doesn't already know, he wants us to learn something. And sometimes it comes out that I don't have the faith that I should have. I don't have the response I should have. I'm not doing the things I ought to be doing. And God doesn't say shame on you. How bad is that? No, in his mercy and in his grace, he's willing to forgive. He's willing to cleanse. He's willing to enable. He's willing to restore. He's willing to help. He's willing to empower you at that given moment to do what he's called you to do. So you have in verses 17 and 18, after they find the Christ child here in this manger, notice what it says here. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning him, what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. You know, they not only receive God's word, they not only respond to God's word, they, they then report God's word. Thank you, Warren Wearsby, for coming up with all ours. <laughs> He's a master at that. See, they're, they're reporting God's word. In other words, they're sharing what they know to be true because they've experienced it themselves. They've come in contact with the living Christ. And while the scripture doesn't give us all these things, I'm going to make, I think, the right assumption that these shepherds were saved individuals, meaning they were right with God because they placed their faith in God and in this Christ child. One day you can go up in heaven if you're in Christ, and you can go to those shepherds and say, what was it like? 
How dark was it that night when those angels appeared? What was going through your mind as you were looking at, at the different stalls maybe that were in Bethlehem that night? And when you found him, what was your first thought? Well, they, they didn't keep it to themselves. You know, people can get on their devices and on their phones to the point that their fingers and thumbs start to hurt and will communicate all kinds of stuff out. But why is it that I, as a believer in Jesus, have such a reluctancy to talk about the greatest one that is to be communicated out, the Lord Jesus Christ? They share. They report what they've heard. You see, God wants me and he wants you in whatever personality we have to be used by him to be reporting concerning his son, Jesus Christ, and sharing the good news. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the good news that I'm bringing to you. That's what the angel said. They went out and said that same message to people. The good news, the Savior has come. The Savior has changed us. The Savior has transformed us. The Savior is Jesus Christ and no one else. Do you communicate that out? You say, well, I might lose some Facebook friends. Who cares? I mean, it can be a tool for good and it can be a tool for evil. Would you agree? I mean, all the things that God has given us as means of technology and communication and things that are out there can be good, can be used for good things. And I'm not saying that every time you give a text, you have to give a Bible verse. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying this morning? Please nod your head or do something if you do. But use what God has given you. It, it, it may be a conversation in the line at a grocery store. I was out doing some last-minute shopping, huh? just like a bunch of other guys there at Belk. The lady that checked my, my order out noticed her last name and started talking to her and and said my best friend at Bible College had that same last name, and we got to talking in a little bit. And uh, she, we completed the transaction, and, and uh, she said, Merry Christmas. And I said, Merry Christmas to you. And I says, and the Lord bless you. And she turned around with the biggest smile and said, he does every single day. And that person was a believer. And... and Maybe giving out tracts is not your thing. That's okay. You, you, can, you, can, you can go from, I was, I was trying to think of how this, you can go from, from bold in your witness to being the, the person that's on the soapbox to, to being bombastic in your approach. Or you can be simple in what you share. However God has wired you, he can use you. My friends, he can use you to bear witness to Christ in who you are. He's not asking you to be somebody you're not in that sense. Oh, yes, he wants you to speak. Oh, yes, he wants you to step out of your comfort zone and in faith trust him and open your mouth and bear witness to him. But he's not asking you to become Billy Graham. God raised up another Billy Graham. We need one, you know. And so maybe the, the response to that is simply this. God, make me a witness for you. Simply, 
No preconceived ideas how, but Lord, here's my life, here's my mouth, here's my heart. Lord, use me. Some of you are already active in doing that continuously, and that's just a part of who you are. Maybe, that's, maybe you're more reserved, and you don't. But let's trust God just as the shepherds did and not care what the response might be on the other end, and let's go out and let's bear witness to Christ. And may the result be that there's fruit for the kingdom. People coming to faith in Christ. People being saved by the grace of God. I had a lot of references here in my notes. I'll just give them to you. Mark 16, verse 20, the last verse of the Gospel of Mark. They went out and preached the Gospel everywhere. Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, because of a persecution, they went out and preached everywhere. Kind of interesting that at the end of the book of Acts, it ends where Paul is under house arrest. Verses 30 and 31 of Acts chapter 28, it says he welcomed everybody who came to him and shared unhinderedly. He was homebound, so to speak, and he was still a witness for Christ. Marnie had the privilege of living with a lady that was in her 90s. Mace Wheat was her name. She was kind of her, her helper at nighttime. Well, her nickname was Mammy. And uh, I want to tell you, Mammy was a true believer. And everybody that came into that house heard about Jesus. She never got out of her house. But whoever came into her house... She heard about, they heard about Jesus, whether it was the telephone repairman or a guy delivering something or the mailman or whatever it was, because she wanted to tell others the good news, and she did. Kind of interesting, and I won't have you turn here, but Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7 says that it comes a point where there's an angel that flies through the mid-heaven that is preaching the everlasting gospel. Do you think God wants his message to get out? That's what these shepherds did. They went out and they told people everywhere. But it didn't end there. It didn't end with just sharing the good news. In their own personal lives, because they had been transformed by Jesus Christ, they were rejoicing. And that's the point that I added to Wearsby. <laughs> they received, uh, they respond, they, re they re what is it? They receive, they respond, they report, they rejoice. If you're wondering, I, I'm just using my, my bare-bones notes. I didn't get a chance to make a final copy this week of my sermon, so this is, I'm preaching from just scribbled notes, so forgive the lack of polish, if you would. But they, they rejoice. Uh, they were praising God continually. Um, Isaiah, this is a great passage. If, if you don't know this passage, you need, you need to highlight it in your Bible. And, and memorize it and, and make it your own. I'm not saying just to know it. I'm saying make this your own. But notice what the, what, what the Lord says will be the, the, the theme of worship and praise and rejoicing in the kingdom. In fact, that's the title that's in my Bible under Isaiah chapter 12, Thanksgiving in the Kingdom. And it says, In that day you will say, I praise you, O Lord, Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. How did God do that? He did that through his son, Jesus Christ, who's prophesied in chapter 53, the one who dies for our sins. 
Then notice this. This is a declaration of faith. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. Do you see? There's the response of faith. And then the, 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 the prophet says, the Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song and has become my salvation. And then verse 3 says, with joy you will draw waters from the wells of salvation. With joy you're going to draw waters from the wells of salvation. God's people are to be a rejoicing people and to have joy. And it's a joy that's meant to be expressed among us as God's people. This isn't always easy. Again, sometimes your personality can affect you negatively. You know, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, but when I went off to Bible college, I, I grew up in a context and in a home that was stern, if you would. You know, church was, you don't talk, you don't whisper, and if you laugh, oh boy, my dad's going to have something to say at dinner after church, you know, kind of thing, you know. And I remember my mother gave me this little plaque. I'm sorry I lost it somehow. But it said, serve the Lord with gladness. And it was the word joy. And in that, there were all these scriptures about joy. You know, my mother used to say to me sometimes, smile. You know? Now, again, I'm not talking about putting a plastic face on. Joy comes from the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And this rejoicing comes from the Lord as well. It comes from knowing him. And these shepherds did that. Look at verse 20 again. It says, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as had been told them. You see, God is trustworthy when he says things. His word is true, Psalm 33 and verse 4. They are trustworthy and they are true, Revelation 22, verse 6. And you can take him at his word and that ought to give you joy because in this world you're not going to find things that, that, that are, are stable and trustworthy and true because they're all of man and humanity and that is corrupted. But that's why we have a Savior who is Jesus Christ the Lord. Joy comes from God, is sustained by God and found only in God. It's not a plastic smile. In fact, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Luke 1.46 said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Can you say that today? Can you say that every day as a follower of Christ? The rejoicing that these shepherds had was ongoing. Let me just wrap this up this morning for us. No pun intended. I know it's Christmas. I had to say it that way or you wouldn't have got it. <laughs> Let me just say, the, read these applications that I thought about as I considered this. What is your response to Jesus, the Savior, who was born for you? He lived a perfect life. That's the record of Scripture. He died on a cross and arose again the third day. It was all part of God's plan. That wasn't a plan B or a mistake. That was how he was going to make you right with himself. 
through the death of his son. Have you responded to Jesus Christ in faith? That's the first step beyond any other step that you might take towards God. It's a matter of faith. Do you have faith in Jesus Christ? The one who was born, who lived, who died, who arose, who ascended, who is coming again. And he wants you to be part of that. But it requires that you have faith in him. And then secondly, in which of these responses of the shepherds Receiving, responding, reporting, or rejoicing, do you need to grow? Or do you need to sort of follow their example, if I could say it that way? I would suggest that all four of them are true for all of us at some level, but maybe there's one of these four where you lack the most. Maybe that's where you need to come before God and just confess that to him and just spend some time with him and say, Lord, change my heart, change my desires, change my will, change my perception of things so that my life is lining up with what you call me to be in Jesus Christ. And then lastly, and along those lines, ask God to give you the faith and the heart that will respond to Jesus and ultimately bring him glory. Because it's all of him Jesus, remember, he said that apart from me, you can do nothing. But the, but the opposite of that, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, who is my strength. And if you know him, you can do all the things God has asked you to do. Christ is born. Glorify him, shall we? Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Help us each to examine our own hearts on this Christmas day. To see where in these areas, Lord, the, at least the four that we've considered from these shepherds, that we might be lacking or having none of these responses. But yet they are responses that you call us to. Lord, may we receive Christ by faith. <coughs> may we then uh, respond by living for Christ, not by our own ability or our own strength, but with the strength that you supply through your spirit within us. May we report this good news in how whatever manner, Lord, you can use us, that we would share the greatest news, the greatest story ever told. It's an interesting title. I don't like using it, Lord, because it's more than a story, it's reality. So, Lord, help us to be people that are more free in sharing about Jesus. And then, Lord, may we be a rejoicing people who have the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, and that, Lord, again, comes from our relationship and our walk with you. It is not in myself. It is not in any of us. It is because of you and who you are that we can have joy, and we have joy. In fact, joy is one of the fruit the Spirit produces within us. So help us to be a rejoicing people. Certainly on this Christmas Day, may we celebrate, but Lord, may every day be a celebration of Jesus because he is worthy of our praise and our worship. He's worthy of our lives being given to him. 
He is worthy, Lord, for now and for eternity to be exalted and magnified. Help us to do that, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.